Hello, my name is Kristen Smith, and welcome to the Sight Black Women podcast. Erica Lorraine Williams is Associate Professor and Department Chair of the Sociology and Anthropology Department at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. She has a PhD and MA in Cultural Anthropology from Stanford University and a BA in Anthropology and Africana Studies from New York University. She is the author of Sex Tourism in Bahia, Ambiguous Entanglements, which was published in 2013 and won the National Women's Studies Association, University of Illinois Press First Book Prize. Welcome, Dr. Williams. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fine. And, and you know, today is a really special day um, because one, it's always lovely to have collective members on the podcast and to have a conversation with collective members. But this is also the beginning of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we decided together, actually yesterday, that we wanted to do a special episode for Breast Cancer Awareness Month because of the journey that you've been through over the past 10 months since January 2021. So for those of you all who are regular listeners of the Site Black Women podcast, you may have noticed that we haven't had any episodes since July. And part of the reason why we have been slow to record and slow to put things up is because Internally in our collective, we've been dealing with some challenges and especially some health challenges. Um, and back in January 2021, um, Erica got diagnosed with breast cancer and has recently gone through two major surgeries um, in order to be free of that cancer. And so we're excited that she is here with us and able to share her journey with us. But having that experience inspired us to really want to share with everyone in our community um, what she's been going through and also think and reflect about all the things that we all have been struggling with um, during the pandemic in terms of health, in terms of family obligations, in terms of trying to figure out how to navigate these really difficult times. And so for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we have an amazing blog um, by Erica that is up on the site Black Women website that shares her journey. And today we just wanted to have an informal conversation and just kind of talk about what's been going on. Yes. Um, thank you so much for opening with that and for, you know, inviting me to be a part of the podcast. So, you know, as I write about in the blog, you know, one of the first things I did after I was diagnosed was turn to this book. I had read it many, many years ago, um, The Cancer Journals by Audre Lord. I had read it many years ago, but I immediately thought, I need to read this again. I need to see um, and remember what this Black feminist, lesbian poet was saying, what she thought, what she felt when she was diagnosed and when she, you know, started on this journey. Um, and it was very helpful. It was very uplifting um, to, to read what, what she wrote and to, to reflect on that. I felt like it was a way, um, in some ways, it grounded me in this experience and, you know, trying to figure out what next steps I needed to take, um, even though it's, you know, it was written a long time ago and things have changed. Technology and medicine, you know, have changed drastically in that time. And there's different options available now that weren't then. It was 
that weren't available then, it was just very powerful for me to kind of connect with her, um, with her experience. Right. And I, I thought also about, um, you know, other black women, you know, academics and people we've heard of who had experiences with breast cancer, other forms of cancer, June Jordan, Barbara Christian, um, uh, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. And so I just, um, I don't know, it was just helpful for me to to do that. So in this quote in particular, you know, we always think about Audre Lorde when it comes to, you know, your silence will not protect you and, you know, things about silence. But I really appreciated how this quote was kind of um, really capturing all the emotions that she felt around, you know, having cancer, um, but then still not allowing that to silence her either, right? So still going back to that point about silence, um, even in light of, of this, you know, this health issue. I do not wish my anger and pain and fear about cancer to fossilize into yet another silence, nor to rob me of whatever strength can lie at the core of this experience, openly acknowledged and examined. Imposed silence about any area of our lives is a tool for separation and powerlessness. I first got diagnosed with breast cancer in January 2021. My first reaction was, of course, crying and talking with my family. My next reaction was turning to read familiar and comforting words, Audre Lorde's The Cancer Journals. There was something about reading the words of another Black woman who had gone through the journey on which I was about to embark that bolstered me. Audre Lorde opens the book by identifying herself as a, quote, post-mastectomy woman who believes our feelings need voice in order to be recognized, respected, and of use. I too am a post-mastectomy woman, but it was quite a whirlwind to get to this point. It all started with a routine mammogram. I had no lumps or symptoms of any kind. I was 41 and had my first mammogram three years prior. Usually people start getting mammograms at 40, but I started a few years earlier because I had dense breast tissue that sometimes felt lumpy. Ever since then, getting mammograms was just something that I did every year out of habit. About a week after the mammogram, I got a call back to do a diagnostic mammogram. I had to wait a month for an appointment. My husband accompanied me to the diagnostic mammogram appointment. I was glad he did because afterwards, the doctor called us into a room and said that they saw calcifications on my right breast that were concerning. She said I would need to have a stereotactic needle biopsy, so I scheduled that for the following week. By the end of the week, I got a call from my primary care physician. My heart started racing when I saw her name on the caller ID. I knew she would only be calling me for one reason. She told me that I had ductal carcinoma in situ, an early stage breast cancer that is localized in the milk ducts. Quote, if you have to get breast cancer, it's the kind you want to get, my doctor said. What an odd thing to say, I thought, but those words would later give me a strange sense of comfort. I was home by myself with my five-year-old son when I got the news. I felt like the room I was in was spinning and closing in on me as I struggled to figure out what my next step should be. So this is another quote from R.G. Lord, The Cancer Journals. I wanted to write in my journal, but couldn't bring myself to. There are so many shades to what passed through me in those days, and I would shrink from committing myself to paper because the light would change before the word was out, the ink was dry. 
I think it's just really powerful that you want to share your story with the public. Um, for those of you who may be friends with uh, Erica on Facebook, you know that you did your own version of the cancel journals um, for your friends on Facebook. And, and you chronicled um, your journey from January until now. And to me, as a friend of yours, I, I was really appreciative of those updates, but I was also aware of how difficult those are to write mm -hmm. and how difficult it is to share your journey, especially something that's so painful and so close um, and something that has to do with your health. And so I very much wanted to, to ask you, what has inspired you to share with the public your journey with breast cancer? Mm -hmm. And what is it that you're hoping to be able um, to give back by talking about your story? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say first that there, there have been different levels of my sharing with the public, so to speak, right? So for instance, I use um, you know different social media platforms very differently. So I shared, you know, kind of chronicling my journey through the different surgeries and recovery processes. I shared that on Facebook um, and I even may have, I think in the beginning, I limited it to certain friends. Only certain friends could see that. Um, I did not share anything publicly on Twitter, on the other hand, right? Because Twitter is just so much right. more public. It just felt so much more vulnerable. And while I was going through the rough parts, I just didn't feel like I was in a position to be that public, right? I could share with my circle of friends, with my, you know, people that I'm closer to, but I didn't, I did not want to share it, you know, publicly. Now I think that it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I made the decision, you know, I came to you with the idea saying that I wanted to write this blog. And I should note that I'm um, actually today is the Mark's week eight uh, of my, um, since my second surgery, my reconstruction, which we can talk more about later. But um so it's eight weeks. That surgery has a six to eight week recovery time. So I'm right at the kind of end of my recovery from that surgery. So it's kind of like this, the timing is a little, is nice because I'm, I'm out of the thick of it, right? I'm kind of recovered for the most part. I'm, I have a little bit of distance from the experience to be able to reflect. Um, I don't think I couldn't have done this when I was in the midst of everything, right? In the frenzy and the flurry of you know, the testing and the decision, the decision making process and, you know, the the thick of the recovery. I couldn't do this at that time. Right. Um, another reason, finally, I would say is because once I did receive my diagnosis, I reached out to a few people in my network who I had seen um, or heard, you know, them share their stories about going through breast cancer and with that, they were able to be a resource for me, right? So I wanted to be, um, in turn, available as a resource for someone else if they find themselves a year or two from now or even longer going, you know, having this experience, then they might remember, oh, yeah, Erica went through that. Let me reach out to her. Um, that was one of the most surprising, I guess a pleasant surprise of this whole experience is that there's almost like this secret network <laughs> of uh, women, of people who've gone through this experience and literally, it could be a friend of a friend, the mom of a friend, the cousin of a friend, and people will con have connected me with the people that they know who've gone through this and who've had, you know, either the same form of breast cancer or same surgery or different things like that. And just it's been helpful. It was helpful at the time when I was trying to make decisions 
to just talk to someone who had been through it. Mm-hmm. Now that's really, I think that's so important. I think we forget sometimes that we are our best resources and yeah. our friends and our networks are our best resources. And in many ways, this is when our digital age and social media are at their best, when they're able to connect us to people who have shared experiences and who can support us, even if they, whether they know us personally or, or even if they don't know us personally, you know, places like blogs and things like that can be a support network. And I was really excited when you said you wanted to share your story on our blog, because I do think it's really important for us to be able to reach out to people and and to be a space where people can come and feel a sense of community mm-hmm. and feel a sense of belonging. And I know there are a lot of people out there that may be struggling, struggling with health issues and diagnoses that are difficult to navigate that will find comfort in listening to your story and and hearing your story. And so I wanted to 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 take a step back and and I know I mentioned that you were diagnosed in January 2021. Can you share with us a little bit about your journey and about some of the things that you have gone through that you want to share and the things that you may have felt or have learned that you feel maybe inspiration to other people. It took about four months for me to go through all the different forms of testing. I had to do genetic testing. I had to get an MRI. Um, the, the surgeon wanted to be very, um, very thorough and, you know, just get a full lay of the land, make sure there was nothing else that was missed. So the MRI um, basically found some additional spots on both breasts. But then what I learned about MRI machines is that they're very sensitive, so they can detect any little thing, but then they can't tell if it's cancerous or not. So then you have to go back and get biopsies on those spots. So there was one day I spent about the whole day at Winship Cancer Cancer Institute at Emory University um, getting poked and prodded and getting various types of biopsies on the, you know, both breasts and, um, by the end of the day, I just had all these, you know, bandages and things on, and it was very uncomfortable. And I had to wait about 10 days before I had the follow-up with the surgeon. And at that point, um, they said that on the left side, it was not cancerous, but it was something that needed to be monitored like closely, like every six months. And on the right side, there was more DCIS. Um, There was an additional area that was far, you know, kind of on the other side of the breast. So basically what that meant was that I could no longer, I no longer had the option of doing a lumpectomy. Lumpectomy is when, you know, if there's an isolated area of cancer, they can do a surgery to just remove that spot. Um, But often after a lumpectomy, you would need radiation and sometimes hormone therapy, um, which is, you know, can be a, a drug called tamoxifen, which is a hormone blocker. And it basically induces menopause-like symptoms. So that was one treatment plan option, but that was ruled out once that more cancer was found. So then my options were either a single mastectomy or a double mastectomy. Um, I talked a lot with the surgeon, did a lot of research, talked with other survivors and people who've gone through this. And I ultimately decided on a double um, for many reasons, uh, one of which was 
you know, there were several risks. I had several risk factors for having, you know, breast cancer again. And so I just wanted to avoid, you know, just avoid that as much as possible and kind of do what, what felt safer. Um, I also mm -hmm. didn't want to go through, like if I kept my left breast, I would have had to go through the constant every six month monitor and mammogram, MRI, the high risk screening, basically. Um, also, they say there's a there's a risk that the younger you are, you know, I was 41 when I was diagnosed. So they say if you're on the young younger side, when you get um, diagnosed with DCIS, you have a higher risk of getting another breast cancer in the future. I had some family history where both of my grandmothers on my maternal and paternal side had breast cancer, though they got it in their 70s. Um, so there was just a lot, you know, just too many um, risk factors for me to be comfortable with, you know, with um, keeping the left breast. Decided to do double mastectomy. Um, then the next decision was, which, you know, what next, right? Should I do reconstruction? Some people choose to stay flat. Actually, Audrey Lord chose, um, she had a single mastectomy and she chose to stay, keep the other one flat. She didn't have a prosthesis. She didn't get um, implants or anything like that. And she writes a lot. She wrote a lot about how her decision was kind of um, like people in the medical and the healthcare industry, they kind of didn't know what to do with her <laughs> it, it, because she decided that because she made that bold choice. Like they almost imposed this idea on her that she had to have something, right? She had to get a prosthetic or get an implant or something. And they just kind of didn't know what to do with the fact that she chose not to, right? Um, I keep thinking about how she constantly resisted oh, yeah. this idea of binarism, this idea of traditional notions of, of gender and conformity, you know, yeah. at all <laughs> in all aspects of her life, she uh -huh. fought back. Yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, so then the decision became, you know, um, what to do. And I decided to do, um, what's called deep flap reconstruction. And that's a relatively new procedure. It came out in the nineties and it's basically when it's that it's an alternative to implants. So it's when they use your own tissue to reconstruct your breast. So in the case of deep flap, they take, um, tissue and fat from your abdomen, like from your lower, um, stomach area and they cut that um, below your belly button. And then they, you know, they take that tissue and fat and then they rebuild your breasts with that. So that was the decision I made. Um, originally, I was supposed to have um, both surgeries at once on May 4th. So it was supposed to be double mastectomy and immediate reconstruction. That was my plan because I kind of wanted to be one and done, um, you know, get back to like have this major surgery, but then get back to my normal life, right? After eight weeks or so. Right. But there was, you know, due to some unforeseen circumstances, um, I was unable to get the reconstruction at the same time. So I ended up having just the double mastectomy and I had what's called tissue expanders placed in, you know, put in um, my, my, I guess I would say breast, but they were gone. So I don't know what, to, my chest. <laughs> and, um, and that was was an adventure because they're kind of painful. They're like these hard plastic things, right? And so they're kind of under your skin. Um, your chest muscles have been cut, you know, through with the surgery. So that's very painful for like months afterwards. Um, you have to learn how to like the first couple the first couple of weeks. You have what they call T Rex arms. Like you have to basically hold your arms. <laughs> you know, you can't like raise them or wow. lift them. Um, 
you know, you can't reach high things. There's a lot of underarm pain because um, um, also they take lymph nodes from the breast cancer side to make, you know, to test and make sure the cancer didn't spread to the lymph nodes. Um, and then after, you know, what I didn't know was after you have lymph nodes taken, you can no never get blood pressure taken on that arm or get, you know, blood taken or needle pokes or anything because you're at risk of developing lymphedema. Um, Wow. So there's just so much, you know, that you learn <laughs> through this process. So anyways, um, after the mastectomy, uh, it was like a four to six week recovery. Um, it was right at the beginning of the summer. So I took four weeks of FMLA fam uh, medical leave. And then, you know, it was pretty much summer. So I could still, you know, rest uh, as much as I needed to. Um, but I was, uh, after that, I was going to PT, physical therapy twice a week, and also doing exercise at home every day. And I had to go to the surgeon, follow up with the surgeon every day to get saline fills and in, into the expanders, because basically what they were trying to do is stretch the skin and create a pocket so that then when I got the reconstruction, the tissue would go in that pocket that was created from the expanders. So um, fast forward, you know, Oh, I remember I took a picture on July 20th. That's uh, I had my physical therapist take a picture of me holding my arms straight up in the air because that was the first time so I was able to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so yeah, the little things that become like big things when you go through that. Um, and so then I was able to have, you know, a little bit of a breather in July and like enjoy my summer and things like that. Um, then it was time for the second surgery on August 10th. Um, that surgery was a doozy. It took 11 hours. I was under anesthesia wow. for 11 hours. And I'm still, that's still surreal to me when I think about it, that I was out that long. Um, and I was in the hospital for four days. And um, that first, that first 24 hours in the hospital um, I had a morphine pump that I control, you know, I would just press whenever I needed more morphine. So that was awesome. And um, <laughs> the nurses, the nurses had to come check my breasts like every hour to make sure they had all these monitors hooked up and they had to make sure the blood flow was, was what it was supposed to be because there is a risk that the flap could fail and it can become necrotic. So it could act like die if the blood flow isn't, you know, right. So, but luckily I didn't have that problem. Everything was fine. Um, you know, it was very challenging to like get out of bed for the first time because now your stomach, you know, has been cut. They basically cut your stomach from hip to hip. Um, and so you have to, I mean, they don't cut through muscle, which is good because there's other procedures like tram flap where they do cut through muscle, but it's just very hard to do anything where your stomach is involved. Um, which is everything, like standing. Yeah, which is everything. Yeah. So that reminds me that's also why, you know, one one of the best investments or purchases I made through this whole process, and actually it was through the grace of gift cards. My father got me gave me a four hundred dollar Amazon gift card and a cousin gave me a one hundred dollar Amazon gift card and I you put them together and bought a power lift recliner that is amazing and it's been my it, it's been my home. I had to sleep in it for like five or six weeks post surgery. And now I just kind of chill in it and it has massage and heat. And then you press a button and it can lift you up to standing position. 
So nice. And I just want to share with everybody who can't see Erica right now. Erica's actually sitting in her recliner <laughs> as we speak because I can see her and her beautiful gray recliner. Yeah. Um, which has been her background for su- such a time. I'm glad you were <laughs> able to get that for yourself. A yes. good treat and also just a healing space and therapeutic. Yes, definitely. You know, I've known you for, for a little while. And a long time. A long time. We won't say how long because we don't want to implicate ourselves, but <laughs> we, we've known each other a long time and you are one of the most dedicated and caring and loving individuals that I know. And one thing that I know that has been very difficult for you in this journey is stepping back from your commitments mm, and stepping yeah. back and taking time for yourself. And as crazy as that sounds, given all that you've been facing, I know that it was hard for you to make a decision to to say no to some things and to step back. And I really wanted to for, to see if you want to talk about that a little bit, because I think that yeah. you're, you're not the only black woman that suffers from that, um, mm-hmm. that, that issue. I know I do as well. It's difficult mm-hmm. for us to take time for ourselves. And so what was that like? Like that whole process of really making a decision that you were going to take family medical leave and you were going to mm-hmm. take the time and take care of yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. That's so important. Um, I'm definitely, I mean, I remember one moment where I literally wrote out in my journal all of my commitments, like my different service roles, professional roles, committees that I was on some new things that I had just said yes to. And I literally was just, I went through and I thought about each one. And sometimes I talked to people, you know, to close friends and said, well, what do you think about this? What do you think? And I like dropped some, I just, I dropped several. Like there were some that I didn't that I was like, felt really strongly about. And I was like, okay, I can make this work. But there were several commitments that I just said, hey, I can't do this. Um, So it really it really forced my hand in, in, uh, in a, in a very strong way, right. That I could no longer, um, you know, make up any excuses or say, no, I don't want to, um, flake on people. I don't want to do like for the first time I had to really, really put myself first and just say, you know what? I, um, I can't deal with any extra stuff right now because one of the things I talked about in the blog was that not only was this, you know, at one point, go, dealing with uh, all the tests and, you know, all the research and the appointments and different things before the surgeries even, it felt like a part-time job, <laughs> right? It felt like a part-time Absolutely. job just, you know, dealing with this diagnosis and trying to figure out what my options are and what I would have to do and get all the information that I needed and that the surgeon needed to make a decision. It literally felt like a part-time job. And I had this part-time job on top of chairing a department on top of teaching my classes, on top of supervising a kindergartner in remote school, right? On top of moving, selling a house and buying a house and moving. So it was just a lot going on. And that just made everything so much clearer. I was like, I can't do all this extra stuff. Anything that's not related to these immediate needs in front of my face right now, I just, I can't do it, right? Um, And so I, I set some really clear boundaries. Um, and I think that that, you know, over the years, even since I was junior faculty, I've written and thought and talked a lot about self-care and, um, you know, self-care for black academic women and things like that. 
Um, and I, and I must admit at one point I felt, you know, after being diagnosed, I felt a little guilty. Like, did I not do a good enough job, you know, of taking care of myself? Did I get, you know, breast cancer because I failed somehow in taking care of myself? And, um, you know, I've, I've gotten over that, (laughs) like that, that feeling, but, um, it does, it has made me resolved, you know, moving forward to just make sure that when I go back to work, I um, am trying to keep some of these practices that these self-care practices that I've been um, embracing so much during this time, right? So what do I mean by these self-care practices? I've been doing, you know, a lot of meditation. You know, I have the Peloton app on my phone and I'll just pick a 10 minute or 20 minute or, you know, you could just search for what kind of meditation you want. Um, I've been taking naps liberally, (laughs) like as much as I want. If I feel like I need a nap, I'm just going to take a nap. I've been, you know, catching up on shows, watching lots of, you know, shows, doing lots of pleasure reading, journaling, um, you know, playing games with my son when I have the energy. So it's just literally been a kind of Erica's going to do what she wants to do (laughs) during this period Um, and listen to my body. Right. And be patient with my body um, and really kind of just just having grace, uh, showing myself some grace, right? I think I show, you know, we tend to show everybody else grace, but sometimes not ourselves. Um, yeah, so I think those are some of the lessons that I've learned. Um, also that healing is not linear, right? That sometimes, um, it's a slow process. And it made me reflect on whenever people say, oh, have a speedy recovery. I'm like, why do they want it to be speedy? Right? Sometimes what you need is a thorough recovery. You need <laughs> right. a good you want recovery, a full recovery. A full recovery, right? It doesn't have to be speedy. So it made me think, I'm like, is when they say have a speedy, is that just so you can get back to like capitalist productivity standards or something like as soon as possible? <laughs> Right. It made me think about all kinds of things like that. Um, I would say another important lesson that I've learned is, um, or I don't know if this is a lesson, but just something that has been um, really powerful to witness is just how my community has shown up for me in so many ways that I could never anticipate. So from, you know, people sending me flowers, sending me peanut butter cookies, you know, sending me like care packages with fuzzy socks and blankets that I use on my recliner every day, um, sending, you know, uh, setting up a meal train and sending Grubhub gift cards so I don't have to cook and my husband gets a break from cooking. Um, just all kinds of things like that. And it has been, it's it's been refreshing. It's been eye-opening. Um, and it's, it's interesting because when you're used to like, not asking for help and just doing everything yourself and being very like, you know, whatever, then to just like sit back and say, like, now it's time for other people to take care of me. And I I just, I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. Um, I even had before the first surgery, I remember I had a prayer circle on zoom, which was amazing. And I had people from different areas of my life, from different religious backgrounds, all coming together and um, even from different countries, I had people from Mexico and Brazil and the U.S. and just sharing their words, either in the chat or in the, you know, or, or out loud, just their prayers and their words and everything. It, it was so, um, so moving. Right. 
to think that I have this community of people who loves me, right? And who's wishing me well. And um, yeah, I just was so appreciative of that. I was I was privileged enough to participate in your prayer circle before your first surgery. And I remember being struck by how people from all stages of your life and all aspects of your life came to support you. And it just reminds me to, to, to share with you, right. Um, And also share with all of our listeners, just how loved you are. Because I think that sometimes we forget to tell people how much we love them and we forget to tell people how much we care about them. And unfortunately it's times of, of crisis that bring us together sometimes in order to, to support one another. And I think that that was one of those moments, right? That it was, it was one of those moments when we all came together in order to lift you up and just like your meal trains and, and all the other ways that people are supported, have been supportive of you. And I think that that's a beautiful reminder of why we have to invest in community and we have to invest in each other and we can't let this game get us down. We can't let the hustle take over our lives because to be really frank, you know, all we have at the end of the day is our family and our friends. That's it. Right. And ourselves, obviously. But, you know, though, that's what surrounds us when we need it the most. Right. And, and, and I love what you said earlier about grace because I think grace is such a beautiful word for thinking about how we show up for ourselves and how we show up for each other. What does it mean for you to be a post-mastectomy woman? Wow, that's a great question. Um I mean, quite literally, it's just having had that experience, right? It's very surreal to, you know, go home from the hospital with bandages or, or, you know, kind of tight wrapped um, around your chest. And then one day to see your scars and to, you know, to see the absence, you know, to see what um, what's missing, what you've had all your life, what fed your child and, and is now gone, right? Um and to, t- to kind of come back from that, you know, so it's a very jarring, very um, surreal experience. Um, and yeah, even when you have, you know, reconstruction, like, it's still not the same as it was before, right? It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. I mean, it might look the same, like with clothes on and everything like that. But you still, you always know, you know, you always are aware of what, um, of what happened to you, you know? And I, I have to say, you know, before these two surgeries, I might have had, you know, a minor, like a minor surgery. I had a C-section. Um, but this is by far the hardest thing that I've gone through, um, physically and mentally and emotionally. (sighs) I've just kind of had to rally, (laughs) you know, all of my, tools in my toolbox, right? My therapist, my physical therapist, my friends, my family, prayer, spiritual circles, right? Like everything that I have, meditation, uh, journaling, I've had to kind of bring it all together and say, okay, this is, 
and I really need all of these things, you know, to be in play and to, to, to help get me through this. Right. Um, and I also just wanted to say that, um, even as this is the hardest thing I've been through, I also recognize that I had it relatively easy in some ways, right? I, I was fortunate that it was early stage, that it was caught early, that um, I didn't have to have chemotherapy and radiation or take hormone blockers. You know, there's many women, there are many women who, you know, have to go through a lot more with all of those, you know, different things, different treatments, if it's at a later stage. Um, black women also have a higher risk of developing uh, triple negative breast cancer, which is more aggressive and um, harder to treat, right? Because it's not hormone, it doesn't respond to hormones. So, you know, I also, you know, want to recognize that as well, that there's a range of experiences of, you know, people who, who um, go through this journey. Um, and so I just wanted to, to recognize that as well. Thank you for sharing that. I think when you were talking about what it's like to be a post-mastectomy woman for you, and you were talking about the absence and the loss, I was also thinking about Audre Lorde and the ways that she constantly wrote about transformation. Mm -hmm. And when I think about transformation, and interestingly enough, when I think about scars and I think about profound transformation. I actually think about butterflies mm. and I think about the ways that some of our most painful moments in life really birth us as new people, mm. as new beings, as new to the world and to the universe. And, and it's interesting because while there's a lot of loss, there's also a new you and there's also a new self and there's also a new transformation that's happened and you've been you know reborn in some ways mm -hmm. as a new Erica as a new person and as painful as difficult as that is it's also transformation in the truest of Audre Lorde senses in so many ways you mm -hmm. know well, Erica, I know we've been chatting for a while and I just wanted to know, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up our podcast for today? Well, I would just share, um, make sure you get your annual mammograms and make sure you do yourself, your monthly self breast exams. Um, you know, just make sure you stay on top of those things. That's that's basically the, the final word that I would want to um, impress upon people. Thank you so much for that reminder. I am going to get, take that reminder and also go up and sign up for my mammogram for this year as well. And I just appreciate you. I appreciate your sharing. I appreciate your willingness to, to share your story and to give and to just spend time with me today and talk about everything that you've been through and as always, you, you can check out Erica's blog on our website, siteblackwomencollective.org. You'll also be able to um, look at her full bio in the description of the podcast. And we are going to try to add some references and resources on breast cancer 
to not only the podcast description, but also the blog as well. Yeah, I want to say one more thing, one final thing. When you were talking about the transformation and the butterfly and becoming a new person, I was really thinking about how that's so true. And I don't think I don't think I can go back to being the old me, right? I don't think I can go, like when I return to work, I don't think I could, I, at least I hope not, right? I hope that I've got, I, I will have gotten so strong with my boundary setting, right? In terms of self-care, in terms of not allowing these institutions to overwork me and to make me stressed out and, you know, crazy, right? I I, I hope that I will be able to still carry some of this, um, uh, the peace and the the relaxation and things, you know, the downtime energy that I felt being on leave, um, that I will still be able to carry that forward. And I would also say in terms of, um, of institutions and, and advocating for yourself, I've learned a lot about that as well, because originally, um, my plan, originally I was supposed to have a sabbatical in the fall semester, um, a pre, you know, before cancer or anything, I applied for it post tenure, post my first ter- uh, term as chair, and I was going to do a sabbatical to work on my my books. Um, when when I found out that I was going to have sur- the second surgery in August, then it became, oh well, I'm going to be, you know, incapacitated pretty much for eight weeks of my sabbatical. So then I, you know, actually it was a friend who told me, well, you know, you, maybe you should try to defer your sabbatical, like ask if they would, you know, see if the provost would approve. That didn't even occur to me. Right. That didn't even like, I just thought I had to deal with it. Like, oh, okay, well I'll be on sabbatical so I could have the surgery and not have to teach. Right. I was about to give away that time. But then, you know, after no. talking to a friend, yeah. <laughs> so then I talked, you know, over the summer, I had a conversation with the provost and and advocated for myself. And so I was able to do, you know, the eight weeks FMLA in the fall. Then tomorrow, actually, I'm off. This is the last day of my FMLA. So I'll be back to work, but re- not teaching, right? Really service and, and advising, committee work, things like that. Um, and then I deferred my sabbatical to the spring. So actually, I'm going to get a full year. Um, you know, to to rest and take care of myself and do my writing and, you know, do what I need to do. So I feel so grateful, um, you know, that I was, that I had people who encouraged me to do that, that I was able to advocate my, for myself and that the administration, you know, the, the provost was supportive of that. My department has been supportive. Um, so that's another lesson, I think, in all this, that sometimes we just need time. Right. And that's a site black woman, site black women, you know, principle five, right. That we need time and space to breathe. And I feel like this year is really my time and space to breathe. And I need it. Um, I needed it desperately. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it had to come with, you know, alongside these surgeries and breast cancer and everything like that. But I'm so grateful for it. And I think, you know, one of the things that stands out to me immediately when you tell that story is, advocate for yourselves, everyone. Black women, go out there and advocate for yourselves. We are so used to sacrificing ourselves for other people. Of course, you thought, oh, I'm on sabbatical, so I can just use my sabbatical to to heal from my cancer surgery. I mean, when we say it out loud, it sounds crazy, but, but, you know, the, the way that we rationalize to ourselves overwork and overextension 
And, and that's how we get burnt out. That's how we wear ourselves down. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, so, so glad that you took the courage to defend your rights and say, no, my sabbatical is supposed to be for research and writing. Mm -hmm. It is not supposed to be for me healing from a major illness. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm glad you got that rest and I'm glad that you're resting and I'm glad you're healing. And I'm glad you're not going to go back to work the same person who you were. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm really glad about that. I love the Erica before and I love the Erica now, but I embrace every transformation and every new every new self that you become. And I think that this is a new stage and I'm excited for this new stage and to see what kind of boundaries this new Erica is going to throw up and, uh, <laughs> and what kind of new, new directions this new Erica is going to go into. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing, you know, we love you and just looking forward to continuing to follow your journey as you move forward. Thank you so much.